you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Around the NFL Podcast. The Danny Tartable of Podcasts. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast, presented by the United States Marine Corps. My name is Dan Hansis, and I'm joined in a room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. That, that is one of the most random and delightful intros we've had. Danny Tartable, you know, for most of our listeners who might not be familiar, uh, a powerful, you know, somewhat memorable, you know, well-known and popular, I would say, but not like one of the great uh, sluggers in baseball from the 80s and 90s. I find it I'm odd because I'm on a text thread with a bu- bunch of guy friends and Danny Tartable has been a source of jokes at least once or twice a week for 20 plus years. Good, good numbers, but not ultimately a winner. That that describes also, us pretty well, actually. I like a that. Yankee. Yeah, that's good. He was a Yankee. In fact, we a, the salary structure doesn't hold anymore in the league. But about seven or eight years ago, uh, Mark, in our early days here at this company, uh, five years, twenty five million became kind of like a joke. Oh uh, yeah, uh, Derek like Fisher. A, it, it was a cursed uh, contract. If you signed a five for twenty five, you would fail. Well, Danny Tartable signed a five for twenty five uh, with the Yankees in ninety two and failed. Neil O'Donnell. Neil O'Donnell then score, uh, signed five for twenty-five with the Jets in '96. That also failed. Um, anyway, and I had what five hundred RBI seasons in his career. Not a bad player, and a cameo in Seinfeld. Mm. Yeah, the five of us, including Ricky, are going to sign a five-year, twenty-five million dollar <laughs> deal at the NFL. That will not fail as long as the money hits the checking account. I'm ready for that. Um, <laughs> all right, big show today. Uh, and by the way, this is purely, and I'm just being upfront with my colleagues. And the listeners, this is a run-out-the-clock situation today for the old Zeuser uh, after Monday Night Football. Don't really want to be here, but I mean, a total we, pro. We sense that. Total pro, I'm here. Uh, to the deal game with was a run-out-the-clock situation after about a quarter. It sure was. Um, so I'm not happy. I mean, I sent my son to school yesterday morning in a Sam Darnold jersey. <laughs> it, was, oh. it was my father Keith's birthday. 
Um, I was looking forward to that game, as were many Jets fans. So we'll get into all that. This is a run-out-the-clock situation. All right, coming up on today's show, Joe Thomas and Andrew Hawkins, uh, former teammates on the Browns, good buddies, and now co-hosts of the Tomahawk uh, podcast, uh, the Tomahawk Show, I should call it, which is uh, on the uninterrupted network, but you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. They will join us in a little home and home. Uh, Greg and Mark will do their show on Sunday, and Joe and Andrew will be on with us later on. That will be a fun convo. Uh, also, uh, Mark wrote a banger on uh, his assistant coach of the year rankings. We'll check in with that and see who's in the lead. I got a good feeling about Salah, 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 Salah. Might not be wrong. Uh, we'll preview Thursday night football um, between the Redskins and Vikings. We'll keep that one pretty quick, Greg. Two-minute drill. Two-minute drill on that one. Uh, we got some news to hit, uh, in, including uh, three trades. Uh, uh, but before that, yes, it's a run-out-the-clock Tuesday. So let's talk about Monday Night Football. Takes the snap. The Jets rush for Brady lobs a throw down the right side for Dorsett. Open touchdown, Patriots! What a beautiful throw by TV12. Night night. I can call plays from up here. Bob Sosi and another guy <laughs> for the Patriots Radio Network from the first drive of the game, which I believe lasted about 74 plays for uh, 80 yards and a touchdown through that Dorset touchdown and then some more the Patriots dominate the New York Jets start to finish 33 zip the final uh, a game in which um, Tom Brady had all day to make decisions and did a lot of his thinking and dunking and it worked quite well uh, but the story was the defense for the New England Patri- Patriots which continues to play at a historic level uh, the, the Jets, obviously, as you can tell from the final score, were able to do nothing. In fact, they managed just 154 total yards on the game or averaged less than three yards per play. And Sam Darnold suffered through uh, the worst game of his life. Uh, 11 for 32, 86 yards, no touchdowns, four interceptions, and a lost fumble. Passer rating of 3.6. So uh, as one-sided uh, a football game as you'll ever see on Sunday on Monday Night Football, uh, not a good look for the Jets, and the Pats are 7-0. and I think Bill Belichick is loving coaching this defense. And I think that was maybe a little lost in the offseason. You know, they lose the defensive coaches. Maybe not the worst thing in the world that Bill Belichick has a more hands-on uh, experience with this group. Sometimes he's calling the plays. Maybe most of the time he's, he's not. But he has a group of guys that have been there for the most part. He had 20 guys play 20-plus snaps last night. I think that's – I've mentioned this these stats like this pretty often, but they have such a deep roster that they can use for who they want on different plays. They all are so smart that they can execute any plan depending on the week. And in this plan, he had a lot of fun throwing these zero blitzes at Sam Darnold where if you've got Gilmore and the McCourty brothers in the back, you can get wild and test the Jets' offensive line, which has been banged up, test Adam Gase and Sam Darnold's ability uh, to protect, and they just had absolutely no answer. And I think if you're a Jets fan, the biggest concern is that they didn't come up with answers during the game. It got worse, and it, not that they gave up by any means, but they it, there was no fight to them. They, they sort of got knocked out early, uh, and then they couldn't come up with any way to counter. Well, this 
Patriots defense is doing things we are unlikely to ever see again. One touchdown allowed versus 18 interceptions. Um, that's a, a a passer rating of 35.6. If you just throw the ball into the ground every time, it's a 39 passer rating. You're never going to see a 1-18 to 18 interception ratio over a seven-game span. I don't care who's playing quarterback. It's been a bad schedule as far as the other teams, the quality of play. But you have to go back many, many years to different eras of football to see a stretch like that. The 89-90 49ers are the last team over seven-game span with a 1-18 to 18 TD to interception ratio. Mm. I just watched Belichick and feel like that there were added challenges coming into this season because they are, you know, on paper, undermanned on the offensive line. They're undermanned at skill positions, the wide receiver position, the tight end position post-Gronkowski. And on defense, it's not a ton of stars by NFL standards, but it is the perfect soup for Bill Belichick to put on a weekly masterclass, which is tiring to many viewers, except for the fact that I don't want to listen to the concept that they aren't playing real NFL teams because I don't. Th- I think we're going to find out two months from now. That doesn't matter. I have no issues thinking this team will go 16-0. and I don't care who you roll out there in front of them. They're going to operate at a completely different level. And watching the Jets, Joe Douglas is a promising general manager. I just had to wonder what he was thinking on the Adam Gase front. Is this the guy that you ride with, Adam Gase, from now until the end? No final answers right now, but to your point, Greg, Adam Gase was hired as an experienced head coach to do this, to come out of halftime and counter Bill Belichick and stop some of the bleeding, even with a lesser roster. And from Adam Gase's post-game, pre-game, uh, persona in general, to how he's in-game coaching, I'm, in, I'm concerned if I'm Joe Douglas. Uh, you should be. Uh, everyone connected with the Jets should be concerned with how they came out because the, the scariest thing, um, if you're following the Jets here, is how great they looked um, against the Cowboys and how great Darnold looked. You can't hang it on, oh, well, he's coming back from mono and all that because we saw last week that he was, in fact, he was named the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. And and yes, there is the you know big storyline that rippled through social media and became a huge story today that uh, he's mic'd up for sound, Darnold, on the sideline, and you hear him uh, say to himself that he was seeing ghosts, which a nice little unique twist. Uh, there's always a little extra twist of the knife as a Jets fan. That becomes the dominant story around this game. Uh, it makes Darnold look weak um, to a lot of people. And Steve Weish, who's um, a voice in this building that we all quite respect, uh, he said it today on NFL Network. That's going to stick with Darnold forever. Uh, and and that's, that was just the cherry on top of the game uh, from a Jets perspective. And I think... For Darnold coming out of this game as poorly as he played, and he played terribly. The the decisions he was making, it was like a different guy. I mean, I couldn't. I was watching the game in a state of shock with some some of the decisions he was making. He was clearly rattled, uh, which he acknowledged. He handled himself well after the game. Uh, but this cover zero blitz, which Dan Orlovsky at ESPN was saying this morning, is both historic and general gener- generational to him. He couldn't figure out how to handle it, and it's a big test now for. Darnold going forward because there is a fear that every Jets fan has, whether they're speaking it or not, that this will be a turning point for Darnold. And Mm. then when Darnold does not make it, 
oh, the Patriots got the Jets again. It, never forget what happened on primetime when he saw Ghost. He needs to rise above it. I believe in him. I think he's a truly special talent who had a dreadful night, and he has to find his way out of it. It's a big challenge for him. I'm not worried that he said he's seen Ghost. If anything, that shows some self-awareness. I think there's some, some people who like a quarterback in that position would be so shell shocked that they can't even be honest and communicate, you know, their weakness. That doesn't show any weakness. That's just being real. It, it just, you just happen to have a, a microphone on him. But the concerning thing to me was the second half play, you know, the one of the, the interception he threw in the end zone, he was protected. Well, you know, they picked up the blitz and he threw off his back foot, you know, sensing the pressure. And you saw a lot of that in the second half um, where not that he was checked out, but they, they had won that game against him mentally because on the plays that they were protecting him, he was still making really bad decisions. But you give credit, you know, a lot of the credit obviously goes to the game plan that the Patriots and Belichick has. That They've made bad offenses, and I guess the Jets, you know, in two of the three games Darnold has started, has been a, a bad offense. They've made bad offenses look you know, historically bad. I am curious to see now that they're going to face the part of the schedule that they play some good offenses. I don't think it's going to, you know, continue at this rate, but there's still going to be a load to deal with and still maybe the best it, defense. It bothers me that we need Darnold to be a plug and play superstar already. I think there's some of this going on this season with Baker Mayfield when he struggles too, that we've forgotten that playing quarterback that you, you know, we have other quarterbacks that are in their fourth and fifth season starting to show some of the traits you want to see. And a lot of it is the overly long off season where expectations around a Sam Darnold and around a Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen or whoever, we want them to be completely prepared and ready to go as, you know, Steve Young, 1994, Right now, and it's going to take years. I, 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 I am I'm appalled at some of the overreaction to Darnold's performance when he is essentially still playing his first season as a quarterback. The Rocky Mountains have weather swings of up to 90 degrees in a single day. That's what you get with young quarterbacks. You know, you can look like the AFC Player of the Week one week and then look like a guy who makes your fan base question him the next week. All, all young quarterbacks see ghosts and a lot of veteran quarterbacks see ghosts this thing's overblown and, and it's because it's a fun like descriptive term that conjures up a striking image and really has the twin benefit of allowing the user to sound like a Ron Jaworski level quarterback expert at the same time throwing shade at your rival team for a quarter you know just insinuating your quarterback might not have the it factor well it's also just dominance you don't normally see at the NFL level. So people are fascinated by that. They, they've gone 46 straight possessions without scoring on the Patriots. They didn't score on offense once in either of their two games against the Patriots. So it's it's seeing something you don't normally see at the NFL level, but they'll move on. Like, I don't expect this to leave a lasting I mean, Belichick hates Darnold. the Jets, I think, as much as anything that exists on our planet. Uh, you're probably right about that. Adam Gase, for what it's worth, is furious uh, that um, Sam Darnold's comment to himself was put on national television. Let's hear what Gase had to say during his Tuesday press conference. I know once a year I have to do the same thing. I mean, it's just kind of part of, part of the deal, and... You know, obviously, you know, you're never anticipating something like that happening. And the fact that it did just just gives us just gives us pause to, to really cooperate anymore. Because, I mean, I, I don't know how we can allow, you know, our, our franchise quarterback to to be put out, put out there like that. There's an understanding uh, with these situations. He is the golden boy of the Jets organization. 
they give you access. The Jets give ESPN and NFL Films access to Darnold. In return for that access, you need to make sure you don't do something that could haunt this kid for the rest of his career, which is what they did. And what seems what has the Jets so angry is that you can't point at ESPN and be angry and say, how could you do this? There is a process, and it was reported this morning, that NFL Films is directly involved to the point where NFL Films is on site, and they clear what goes to ESPN. And part of that job, I would imagine, every week is filtering out things that could be harmful to a player or team. This gets through, and again, I even thought later, as fascinating as it, as it was, when you have mic'd footage of Gase and Darnold face-to-face, Gase trying to talk his, his young quarterback um, into snapping out of it. I felt that to be incredibly intimate and overly intimate and invasive. Uh, what should have been a private moment between coach and player was blasted out because the game was a blowout and ESPN needed something to juice it up. I, I understand why people want that kind of stuff, but when it's happening to your team or your organization, you understand why nobody's going to want to do it going forward. I think NFL Films and ESPN will rue the day that they handled this the way they did. I think there's probably regret. I also not worried about Sam Darnold like letting it bother him like if that if that becomes, doesn't seem like it killed him if he, it, he said the right thing right after. I mean if it becomes something that like hurts his career he's, he wasn't the guy to begin with I does he just doesn't seem like that type of I, I think most of the people that get to the point that Sam Darnold are not that type of guy it's something that if, if you're Gase or you're the Jets you want to protect your guy but ultimately, like he's a big boy, he's going to handle a lot big, you know, like bigger problems than this. Like the, you know, week on a weekly basis. I'd argue that he put the mono narrative, which was generating all sorts of giggles from a bunch of wit crackers and hobby horses online, uh, to bed with the Cowboys game. And <laughs> had, crackers, well, right, but that's that's Darnold's Darnold's attached. When you are a well young put. quarterback and you get drafted by a franchise that has been mm. a laughing stock, and there's four or five of these teams out there, and a lot of those holes were addressed last two drafts ago. Darnold's going to have to be the mentally strong guy that puts up with the next thing that happens. And I totally see a guy in all of his media availability that is not some drama queen that's going to rise and fall with this. He's got a pure past it. And we are we live in a society right now that will completely, I, I yes, it can stick to the Jets because things do. It can be forgotten with three or four good games or a nice month by Darnold because that's what he is. Who cares about this? moment with Gase in the end. He's not some hothouse flower. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> nice night for my uh, Stefan Gilmore for Defensive Player of the Year. Oh, I mean, Each week, stack them up. Well, I mean, how many? Got, like, eight eight of them on he team. probably doesn't even deserve it, but the narrative is, is starting to build, at least, that it makes so you, sense, because he's kind of the representative of this secondary. You could argue just as strongly for Jamie Collins or Devin McCourty. McCourty. Or even Kyle Van Noy. couple of votes for Kyle Van Noy. Who's I mean, beating this team? I mean, you, you get... You Over get Tom under, Brady I'd to move still his say feet. two losses. I get still, Tom Brady I to move his think. feet. Right He's there, not moving well. They, at we'll all. talk about it in one second. You're gonna, yes. you know, we're gonna talk about the trade. This is the worst Patriots offense in more than a decade, and they showed it again. All right, last let's night. get into that. Let's go uh, move away from Monday Night Football, never to speak of it again, and do some news. <laughs> all right. New England Patriots, you'll notice, yes, as Greg is alluding to, even in a blowout of the Jets, everything is dink and dunk. It is not an explosive offense, and with Josh Gordon out, uh, it wasn't going to be a downfield attack, really. But they need somebody to stretch the field, which is not Mohamed Sanu, but he is a competent guy that's been in the league for a while that can make plays and is right in that Bill Belichick model, right down to his Rutgers uh, lineage. So the Pats pull the trigger on a deal. They get Sanu from the Falcons in exchange for 
for a second-round pick, Rapsheet reported Tuesday morning. Uh, New England had previously made a move for Sanu during the 2019 draft, but Atlanta held off. Atlanta is now in the tank. Uh, they're looking forward. So they get, say goodbye to Sanu, and we'll get into the value of the deal because I, I feel like the Falcons did a great job here. But let's start where you were uh, heading, Greg, on what he does for the offense and a Patriots offense that needs help. He gives them some versatility. All I could think watching them the last few weeks is they are a Julian Edelman away from being a bad offense. Right now, they're okay. They're 13th in DVOA. They're 21st in yards per play. You know, they did not, they had the ball 14 different times last night. They had 320 yards. I mean, that's kind of what, what I've expected. Everything is hard. Everything is a five-yard gain. They don't have good left tackle play. Hopefully, they get Isaiah Wynn back. They don't have anything really down the field. Sanu gives them diversity. Mike Reese pointed out how in the Giants game, they ran the same personnel package the whole second half. Last night, they only had two personnel packages. One of them had two undrafted rookies in it. Jacoby Myers is playing well, um, but you don't necessarily. The other one had two tight ends they signed that week, and that's it. And that's not taking... I think Tom Brady looks pretty good overall because you're not taking advantage of what he does well, and that's putting a lot of different personnel groups out there and then him being able to pick the mismatch and beat you before the snap. When you're that limited and you have no versatility, you're not going to do it. So Sanu adds another guy over the middle that they can use and they might not be done yet. This is the perfect NFL trade. I like it for yes. both teams. It's a respected veteran with Super Bowl experience, a glue guy, a gadget play skill set, which Josh McDaniels will fall in love with, saves Bill Belichick from using that second-round pick on a cornerback who will sit the bench for two years <laughs> and to get flipped to the Titans or Lions for a conditional seventh. Um, <laughs> yep. Josh McDaniels will probably take him for a wildcat spin in the next couple of weeks, put those trick plays on ice until the divisional round where he picks up a key first down, and then uh, he'll collaborate with Edelman on a double throwback reverse flea flicker Statue of Liberty with a hook and ladder to a streaking Rex Burkhead for the game when he scored to beat Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl. Love and it. Everybody's happy. But it, this is Not another everybody. instance of a seller's market. Look at the Falcons once got Tony Gonzalez for the same price. Right. And then he went on to four Pro Bowls, made the Hall of Fame, and Bill Belichick was using gunner coverage on him in the red zone. I've never thought the Patriots made any decisions based on that the end might be coming for Tom Brady until maybe this move. You know, just that, hey, we really need something this year. We've got a chance this year. We only have so many years and so I think the value makes sense. They're going to have Sanu uh, next year as well. And so it's not just a one-year move on a very cheap contract. I think they just continue to pound away at a position that needs help. You could right. have said that about acquiring Josh Gordon last year, that they're seeing the end of Tom Brady. I think it's a position group that New England's going to treat this process differently than other teams. It was a raging weakness. It's on the edge of being one if they had more injuries. They continue to produce, and they're slowly turning that position group into a strength. A healthy Gordon, Edelman, and Mohamed Sanu is an awesome wide receiver group if they're all playing Dorset. Par. I mean, Dorset's Dorset. been their most... And great. the fact yeah. that it's going to be... They're, they, I, I don't think they're going 16-0, and 0, but, who, but who's their, like who's scaring them in the AFC right now? Right now, well, the AFC's a hot mess right now. Right now, to me, it's not that important, but I think the Ravens, the Texans, and the Chiefs are all 
very scary long term. That one or two of those teams at their hot. best, they're, they're scary. Be but I, I can, I can already see it now that we're going to get a Baltimore, and, New England playoff matchup where Belichick is going to relish and totally thrive in the concept of preparing for Jackson's the Ravens career. for one week and allowing seven points. Like well, you this know, is what, though, a different they organization those... than any thirty-one other organizations. A- absolutely, this is the best defense that they've had since 01 or 03. I'm not ready to put them above those groups at all because I think you have to see them against better teams and the the talents out there. But we are going to see them. They do play the Ravens, Texans, and Chiefs coming up. They play the the Eagles and the Cowboys. Those are their next games. So uh, uh, after the Browns game this week, which I also think has its dangers to it. We'll talk about that later. I just think if the Jaguars and the Colts can shut down the Texans who are hot and cold, and when they're hot, they're hot, Yes, the Patriots can too. These challenging games that are coming up on the slate, there's no bigger challenge than trying to out-duel Bill Belichick over the course of the three-day preparation period. Another wide receiver trade to hit here. The Broncos are trading wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders to the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, The Niners are sending a third and a fourth round pick in the upcoming draft to Denver who are also including a 2025th round pick with Sanders in the deal. Sanders, 32 years old, came back from an Achilles injury, suffered just last December, but had a really nice year last year before going down. And despite uh, playing with Joe Flacco, which presents all sorts of challenges for a wide receiver, he's been productive this season as well. Not all pro productive, but still seems to have it. Uh, So this seems to me, Chris Wessling, like a nice pickup for the Niners. Yeah, still moving really well in and out of his breaks, being a little outproduced by Cortland, or a lot outproduced by Cortland Sutton, but he's also drawing more coverage than Cortland Sutton, which may explain some of those numbers. Uh, Nikki Hawala of The Athletic uh, had an interview with Kyle Shanahan in, in December of last year, and he called Sanders one of the most underrated receivers in the league, a true number one since he's been in Denver. Mm. Extremely quick, knows how to separate, can beat man coverage, and is fearless. He's been a big Emmanuel Sanders fan for a long time. They, they've been playing four to five wide receivers all about the same amount of snaps. Dante Pettis, Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, Goodwin. Now they've got one that they that they know they can count on each week. And it didn't cost much at all. I saw some people like, oh, well, no wonder the Eagles didn't trade for him. That was a heavy price. He would have gotten a compensatory third-round pick back for them anyways. He might get that for the 49ers. They just traded, what, uh, a fourth or a third and a move down from the fourth and a fifth, and you might get the compensatory pick back. They they almost got him for nothing. It's a great move. I do wonder if this completely shuts the door on the Bengals' moving A.J. Green because you, th- there, were, there were people linking the Niners with A.J. Green. And you do, you'd have to imagine, because that front office in San Francisco goes for it, they really wanted Odell Beckham in the offseason. Did they try? And are the, are the Bengals just saying, we're not giving this guy away, even though no, there's we made probably a no way. that On this podcast, that trade will never happen. The Bengals will never do anything fun for the league. I believe CBS is Jason. AJ Green is not going to be traded. Right. Lock and Fora is saying it's not not going to resign with him either. It's not happening. They're not going to trade him. 31 years old, many, many foot problems over the last few years. His value will probably, he's never going to be able to draw like a first or second again, probably. I don't know. Mm. He, uh, but he's he, uh, also not going to re-sign with that team three months from now. I he's just, he's also not returning until after the trade deadline, which I read that report as, you know, it's 
I know you've gotten on Jalen Ramsey a lot. I don't think it's that sort of situation. I think AJ Green is smart. He's not going to return from the injury until he's absolutely ready, and he's going to see if he gets traded first. There's no he's gonna season return. to save. Yes, for the for the Bengals. It, it's so much like the Redskins refu- refusing to trade Trent Williams. Both players passed their primes. Th- neither one is going to be on the next good team for for that franchise. The NFC is so it. awesome with the 49ers being kind of the new blood there that. You can see six different teams going to the Super Bowl, and the and the 49ers and Cowboys are are two of the ones near the top for me, and those are just like those are uh, well, yeah. And the cost comes in the AFC, which has got a heaping uh, mound of milk toast operations trying to make the playoffs. A third and fourth round pick for Sanders. That's what I would have guessed if someone said, "Oh, most new got traded to the Pats." That's why I just circling back there real quick. I that I thought that was a great trade. Atlanta, he's essentially their third receiver and you get a second round pick which is gold in the NFL. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good, good trade for them too. It's the going to be the back end of the second round if right. not the very back end, but yeah. That's all right. It, I think it's a good trade for both. I think it's fair. All right, uh, another trade. Garyon Conley, the Raiders cornerback, a first round pick in 2017. He was the guy that got stretchered off in week one with a neck injury but was able to get back on the field. He is now a member of the Houston Texans. The Texans shipped a 2023rd round pick to the Raiders for the cornerback. Um, This is a deal that, once again, Mark, shows Bill O'Brien going all in on his team right now, uh, giving up that third rounder they acquired in the Clowney trade. They go get Conley, who has not played up to expectations, uh, but O'Brien sees them as somebody who will upgrade their secondary now. Yeah, they lost Bradley Roby for you know another month or so, if not a little bit less than that. Lonnie Johnson is the worst-ranked player on their entire defense, according to PFF. Yeah, trust the Lonnie. They He's- needed a lot of help in the secondary. I wouldn't be surprised to see them make another deal for this because I think you're right. Bill O'Brien is kind of in what I love, gigantic FU mode. You don't like the way that I'm running this team. I'm going to keep doing it my way. And if we're okay with the Bel- with the Bill Belichicks of the world making nonstop moves, maybe Bill O'Brien is not as crafty a tradesman as Bill Belichick is, but I kind of think if you're a Texans fan, you can at least live in the comfort zone of knowing my team goes for it. We're not going to sit on aging assets and not move them or not try to go get the guys that can improve right away. Their offensive line is vastly improved because of that Tunsil trade. It's a it's vastly we're not, not going to draft anyone in 2019. Well, well, but more and more teams are doing that. Well, we're calling that the wave of the future. No, it, the Rams it do is, it. We we crown them with Reed. This no, well, so, it's know. different. Gary and Conley struggled. I mean, Gary and Conley, this was... With you. I'm not saying Gary and Conley is the answer. <laughs> this was it's just an emotional, why not go for it? No, I agree with that, yeah. but it was an emotional trade. Gary and Conley had an awful Sunday, and they traded him the day after. It, the Texans lost two different cornerbacks in the last two weeks to injury. Philip Gaines is on IR, and, and Roby's hurt. They need someone to play. What? Uh, you know what? That's code. That's code words again, Greg. What? An emotional trade. That's a way of saying that O'Brien didn't think out. No, I'm, I'm talking about then the Raiders end. That Conley oh. had a terrible game and they traded him. The- oh, okay. I can I buy it from the Gruden angle where he's like, you know, <laughs> yes. this guy's out the house. I just, the reason I was going to come to Bob's defense here, Bill O'Brien, was he. I'm giving him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because he's been pretty good the last few months. Uh, Gruden, I could totally see He traded Clowney for Conley, basically. He got a third-round pick for Clowney, and he used it for Conley. We knew in August they were desperate at running back, they were desperate on the offensive line, and they were desperate in the secondary. And they fixed running back and offensive line. They're still desperate in the secondary. This doesn't fix anything, I don't believe. All right. 
finally in the news. The Raiders closing in on the Super Bowl championship. Turns it back to pass. Throw the sideline. Of it's going to be a touchdown. Old Man Willie, yes, one of the indelible Im- images in the history of uh, the NFL, shot by NFL film cinematographer, cinematographer Ernie Ernst was Willie Brown. Ernie. Uh, it's in Super Bowl eleven with the pick six that clinched the Raiders' first ever Super Bowl title. John Madden on the sideline, Al Davis, uh, the king of the world at that time. And, and Willie Brown uh, passed away on Tuesday at the age of 78. Um, had a great career over 16 seasons. One of the great ball hawks. He was known as the godfather of the bump and run. Uh, played 12 of his 16 seasons with the Raiders. Uh, a nine-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro, uh, 1984 Hall of Fame enshrinee. And uh, Wes, you will not hear anyone say a bad thing about Brown, who stayed connected to the football and the Raiders for his entire life. Uh, and he is one of those guys. If you grew up um, a little bit, guy, you know, guys a little older than us, if you uh, and women, men and women, if you grew up watching the NFL and watching NFL films, Willie Brown and those Raiders teams, uh, they stick with you. He had such a long story career. The best cornerback in AFL history. And then when the merger happens and John Madden's there, he's in Oakland for the entire John Madden era. Uh, in which the Raiders, Steelers, and Dolphins ruled the AFC. And he's on that franchise as Mount Rushmore, I think. I like uh, Growing into a football fan around age 11, 12, in my case, some kids, you know, we have kids that are watching football a lot more than I was when I was young because of the, of the place that we work. And I always wonder what they're going to th- think and remember about the stars of today. You've got another couple years with Tom Brady. Some of these guys that you were watching clips of who are already essentially out of the league – they know who Joe Montana is by name, but Willie Brown was someone that growing up, when I started to dig into the history of all these teams and read about the these weird seasons from the 60s and 70s, Willie Brown's name on highlights too would come up over and over and over. And it's almost just because of our age that we don't really remember him in the flesh as one of the biggest NFL stars around. Yeah, he was, he's in our circle Hall of Fame. They should create that. And you know, like he, that. he would be... Up there of the top five or six cornerbacks, he has five first-team All-Pros and a couple more uh, second-team All-Pros. That That is special stuff. He also had a four-interception game against the New York Jets. So talk about your pain rankings, even back uh, back in the 60s. Awesome. Old Dick Wood and Mike Taliaferro <laughs> were intercepted uh, four times Thank while you, Brown was a member of the Broncos. Greg, I had to dig deep for that. Painful statistics. Not necessary today. Uh, Wes, a little impromptu game of win Wes's toaster in a big spot. Uh-oh. Willie Brown, like I said, cinematographer Ernie Ernst for NFL Films captures the run back in super slow motion. One of the great images. Pick six, Super Bowl eleven. Who threw the pass? Super Bowl eleven. I don't know. Fran Tarkenton. Mm. All right. Those well, Vikings this is, teams in there. That's this a is tough before, question. Right now, with the, uh, my sons are obsessed with Rocky right now. Right now, you haven't gotten the eye of the tiger back. You, get, you need Apollo to come and say, come on, man, you're blowing it. And you need to start running on the beach together. Well, I'm as rusty as Melvin Gordon, so you'll have to, we'll have <laughs> I mean, to go back to that one. Yeah, the toaster also still belongs to Dave Damashek. All right. Uh, yes, Willie Brown passes away at the age 
of 78. All right, that's what's happening in the news. All right, we teased it at the beginning of the show, and now here it is. We're very excited. It's a it's a crossover here, uh, a home and home, if you will. Yes, the great Andrew Hawkins and Joe Thomas from the Tomahawk Show from the uninterrupted world. Welcome to the Around the NFL podcast, boys. Well, thank you for, for having us, us, guys. It's quite the honor here. This is this is going to take a little bit of time for us to, to get get this rhythm down. We're in like seven different locations doing this podcast, <laughs> but it is long overdue. We've tried to set this up so many times, so it's a pleasure to finally be here on the Round NFL. Yeah, your producer, of course, is TD, who once upon a time uh, produced our show here at NFL Media as his um, mm. profile's grown across the country. Um, and I did mention uninterrupted. I just want to start here. When when you guys come to that company, is there a sit down with LeBron where you you pitch the show? Do you have you had any deep conversations uh, with Mr. James? Yeah, it was like a recruiting process. So you know, we had official visit. Uh, LeBron <laughs> bought us the Hummer um, <laughs> just to get everything kicked off, and from there we had a big bag of cash that he dropped off at Joe's house in Wisconsin, something that Joe's used to um, as his top recruit. So. And here we are, man. It's been bliss ever since. Yeah, he actually came to my mom's house and he sat down on the couch and he <laughs> explained why uninterrupted was the right choice. And I said, well, you know what you got to do, Mr. LeBron. You got to show us the money. We don't go anything anywhere for free. This and, brings back uh, memories of the, the film Blue Chips starring Nick Nolte and Shaq. Exactly. Pretty, time. pretty similar. All right. So you guys, uh, your show is like our show. You talk about football. You talk about the Browns probably more than you should, and you do it with a little bit of mirth. <laughs> so why don't we why don't we get into some discussion? And, and Wes, do you want to get us going here on some football talk with I, the Cleveland Browns? I do because I have questions in need of answers. We we really thought this Browns offense was going to be dynamic, you know, w- with Odell Beckham providing that spacing, Baker making his offensive line look better last year, throwing receivers open, and they've kind of been the opposite of that. Against a pretty tough schedule, do you guys see this as an offense that's fixable the rest of the way? I was going to say, if you could uh, just direct the question at one of us, that oh, would sorry. be very helpful <laughs> since we're in two different Yo, locations, and it please. looks like you're looking at both of us. <laughs> sorry. So, yeah. So to answer your question, um, I think we all thought the Browns offense was going to be a lot different than what we saw in the first part of the season. Uh, But I think when you added Odell, you added such a deep threat, which was kind of missing last year. And I think they really thought early on in the season, okay, we need to push the ball down the field. We need to get the ball in Odell's hands. And so they were scripting a lot of plays, trying to move the ball down the field with deep throws. And I think that kind of disrupted the rhythm a little bit. And Baker got out of that rhythm that he was in towards the end of last year, doing a lot of the RPOs and the quick passes and getting the running game going. Um, And I think it led to some inconsistency. And that was pretty much uh, throughout the entire offense. You saw a lot of inconsistency. And it was only the games that they were able to really efficiently run the football that Baker was able to kind of get into a rhythm. And I think they've done some self-scouting in the bye week. And I think we're going to see a lot different offense coming out of the bye week going into New England next week. And you're going to see a renewed focus on a lot of those quick passes. Hawk talked about it a ton on our 
our podcast. Like, let's get some of those easy completions. Let's get some slants. Let's get some sticks. Let's get some of those easy routes and put the ball in the playmaker's hands on the edge. Give Baker those high completion percentage throws and run the football. And then the deep shots, they'll be there. They'll open up. those. The defense can't cover everything. They can't take away your run game, your short passing, and your deep stuff. So let the deep stuff happen within the flow of the offense. Get Baker in that running game going. And I think that's what we'll see in the, the next half of the season. If you're a team and you know that next up we've got the Patriots and they've been the same team essentially in terms of being an imposing uh, opponent for like 17 decades in a row. If you're the Browns or you're a team that's struggling to find yourself, do you look at the matchup with Bill Belichick as a player and just say, sometimes, and I'm not talking about Freddie Kitchens, but maybe you've been on a couple Browns teams that had uh, some suspect coaching going on. Our guys simply cannot match up with Bill Belichick. How do we stand a chance in this game? Or do you have to put put the horse blinders on and just say we do have a chance? How real? How realism? Where does realism play when you deal with New England? I I think that no matter what in the NFL, you always do have a chance. I mean, I, I know that's a cliche we always say, but it, it's true. I mean, everybody is getting paid. Everyone's under contract, and for Bill Belichick, the thing it becomes is more of like the coaches. The coaches have to feel like they have a chance. The Browns are talented. No, the offense hasn't looked great. No, the team has not looked incredible, but they have talent. Their problem is they haven't found that cohesion as an offense, as a team. They haven't established their strategy. It just seems like they're just throwing plays out there like they're playing Madden, and you can't do that against the New England Patriots and win. So if they can come out and say, hey, here's what we do best. Here's the plays we're going to start and call to set up these plays, understanding what the – the Patriots are going to give us and understanding what the Patriots are going to take away, then I think it gives them a chance because man for man, the Browns are still a very, very talented football team. And if everybody comes to their A game, they will have a fighting chance. Joe, you were there obviously forever. um, And in the back half of your career, especially there was so much uh, churn at the head coach spot. And I would wonder how much that begins to, Um, press on a team now I know when Dorsey's there it feels like a different vibe around there but they're coming out of the bye if things don't work out against New England and this season really starts to spiral does that infect the clubhouse at a certain point the locker room once the speculation in the media starts ramping up when whenever there's speculation in the media about the job status of the head coach it puts a lot of pressure and stress inside that locker room because then you don't really know who to align yourself with right is it are you going to align yourself with the management that's going to still be there or are you going to try to buddy up with the head coach and really defend him in the media and so i think that puts the players in a difficult perspective or difficult situation but i don't think that's going to be the situation here you know John Dorsey he handpicked Baker Mayfield that was the biggest decision he had to make so far since he was the GM but the second biggest decision he had was who should he make the head coach and he went out on a limb by hiring Freddie Kitchens and making him the head coach even though Freddie had no head coaching experience and so to be able to take that type of risk I think he's got a lot invested in Freddie and he wants to see this thing through I think he understands that there's going to be some growing pains when you're dealing with a rookie head coach and I think they're they've built up enough capital with the good things that John Dorsey has done since he's been there that they're going to be able to fend off any speculation or rumors that'll swirl in the media about the status of Freddie Kitchens. And I think for the most part, people are going to believe John Dorsey when he says, you know what, Freddie Kitchens is my guy. I still believe in him. I like the things he's doing. And I think for the most part, that should shut down any rumors or any things that could swirl around Freddie Kitchens' job status. Because I truly believe from the Haslam's to John Dorsey, they want this to be a long-term thing with Freddie Kitchens. And they don't 
don't want to be pulling the trigger after one season like they've done with Rob Chudzinski and when he was the head coach a few years ago and with some of these other coaches that they've got rid of quickly. They want to be the stable franchise like the Pittsburgh Steelers are. As two really of uh, the great Cleveland Browns of all time, I mean, are you still like communicating yeah. with, with the, the team and the coaches? Do you have a lot of feelers out there you're hearing from them? Sparrows. Hawk, when are they yeah, retiring we, your number, by the way? I, I'm waiting to get into the ring of honor. Um, that should be soon. You know, I'm the, I'm the most efficient receiver they've had there nice. since they've come back. Uh, that, that, that's that alone. I'm, I'm you hoping can find a propels me. say anything, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a big deal. I'm also the shortest receiver they've had. The, the, the list goes on and on, guys. Um, Joe is the Accolades. expert in getting coaches list. fired. But I'm glad you asked Joe that question because he's the expert on getting coaches fired. For Freddie Kitchens, he was really in a, a no-win situation, right? Like he comes in with a team with all this hype. Either A, they are good and they say, well, yeah, that's because the roster is so good. Or B, they don't play well and it's, oh, he's a rookie head coach. He doesn't have enough experience. So I actually think for Freddie Kitchen's career, this was the best case scenario because now that we see that, oh, this is going to be harder than everyone suspects, if he can turn it around, it will actually show what kind of coach he is and the kind of job that he's done there and not that it's just he had the best players. Oh, it was an easy button for him. And it says right there on the Tomahawk show, of course, uh, Joe Thomas uh, and, and uh, Andrew Hawkins, it says right there that 10 Pro Bowl bids between you. Uh, uh, yeah, collections. <laughs> we, uh, we've done our part for and, sure. And two obscure movie cameos, uh, but those are none on the Thomas side. Ooh. No, he's has a, he has a face for podcasting, so I, <laughs> I stick uh, in front of the camera for the most part. Well, what, were, what are your movie cameos? I was actually in Ides of March. Uh, this is like when I was in the CFL, I was in Cincinnati, and someone walked into a coffee shop. And they're like, hey, you want to be in a movie? I'm like, sure. <laughs> That's how like, it happens. You're going you're gonna to play political intern number two. And there was actually a scene in the movie. There's, I'm, all, I'm in there for like a split second where I'm just walking by at the beginning. But the one scene that I filmed, I was right in between George Clooney and Ryan Gosling as they were in this heated argument. And I was so excited because I was like holding the coffee and he yells at me during the scene. And I like rush <laughs> off and I'm like, oh, I'm about to be a movie star. And of course... It didn't make the film. And there's no, like, deleted scenes on the DVD. So oh. that's a complete made-up story to anybody at the I know that Clooney and Gosling are still talking about that encounter with you and upset also that it, that it hit the cutting Clearly. room floor, no doubt. <laughs> Joe, you're, you're a member of the NFL Network family. Um, uh, we, we're going to ask you about Colleen Wolf in a moment because we're wondering mm. where she's at head-wise as her career has uh, kind of <laughs> risen beyond us. Uh, but I also I know you, you spend a lot of time, obviously, in Wisconsin, not too much time in L.A. Um, have you been to J.J. Watt's log cabin yet? I, uh, you know, <laughs> That feels like the number one location that every male needs to get to before he dies. <laughs> That's actually how I was able to lose my weight and uh, get my current physique. I spent a lot of time at J.J. Watt's cabin. And the great news is it's only a few minute drive from Chicago. So when I'm out of town, I can just fly right into Chicago, drive the five or six minutes out of downtown. And there's the log cabin on 30 private acres in the middle of the city. And I'm able to get a great workout in no matter where I am in the city. So I heard uh, I heard he bulldozed an orphanage to build it. So. <laughs> well, it wasn't technically an orphanage. It was more of like a group home. But, you know, okay. you, you get the idea. 
<laughs> Lives affected. But you no, know, Colleen. She, you know, Colleen. We love her. She's one of our closest uh, friends here at NFL Media. And before she became the big TV star, she used to be on the podcast a lot. She still is. She still is. But do you reluctantly? Feel, do you feel that 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 star power? Have you felt that around you? And whether that's changed her as a personality? Yeah, I'll, I'll fire off with a serious note for one second. Uh, Colleen Wolf has been an absolute joy to work with. Last year, I didn't know what I was doing whatsoever. I still don't know what I'm doing in media, but I know a little bit yeah, more. No. And I jumped on Thursday Night Football, and she was the host, and I was like starstruck right off the bat. But she was so warm and welcoming and inviting and so helpful that uh, it really it meant a lot to me. And so she's the true star of Thursday Night Football, and I just feel blessed to be able to work with her. However... We can still tease her a little bit because after the show last week, me, Andrew Siciliano, Steve Smith, Colleen, and then one of Andrew's friends tried to go to the local bar right, right down the street from the hotel uh, after the game to grab a beer, have some cornhole, <laughs> share some uh, stories, break some bread. And we got turned away by the bouncer at the door. What? We did not have enough star power <laughs> to be able to get into a half-empty bar in Denver on a Thursday what? night. So <laughs> That's an outrage. not yet hit the big time. I know me and Steve Smith were easy to turn away, but Andrew Siciliano and Colleen Wolf, they got to be able to get into the best nightclubs in Manhattan. Unheard of. It didn't happen in Denver that night. <laughs> oh, my wow. God. Wow. Steve Smith was turned away by a bouncer. How'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> he was actually really cool about it. He was like, "All right, whatever. We don't have to come here. We're, we're going to go somewhere else." Good for him. Bad <laughs> bouncer work, though. Co- Colleen's no. a, a triple threat. You know, a host, a podcaster. Joe, what do you think about the fact that Andrew is now breaking into the host mold? We do a show together, Game Day View. There's a lot of crossover here mm. between our podcast and yours. And now he's going like Frank Gifford. You don't see a lot of <laughs> former players that are also the hosts of the show. You know, kind of outshining you, Joe. What do you think? It is tough to work with Andrew. He has clearly left me at the laundromat in my media career because he is on a trajectory to the moon and back. He's the next Pat Summerall. I told him he's going to be doing like play-by-play with somebody that's actually talented some someday, and uh, I'll just be telling my kids, my grandkids, that I knew him one at one point. There's almost I've just used Joe to catapult my media career <laughs> flawlessly. I thought he picked the wrong guy. He should have picked LeBron, the guy that's got the office right next to him. He could have used him, and he would already be way above the Tomahawk show. I feel like there's too much crossover going on right now. It's like in Ghostbusters where they say don't cross the streams. It could send us into another dimension <laughs> if we do one more crossover, like a West Joe Thomas offensive line breakdown. That, that feels like that could be the final piece that we all just you know what? disappear into nothing. I usually Andrew calls me about 1130 at night when he's really tired, but he can't sleep. And he says, hey, give me that XO breakdown of the O-line play from that game this morning. because I'm really having a hard time sleeping. So we always avoid O-line talk like the plague on this show. All right. Good. Yes. The Tomahawk show. And this is a home and home facilitated by TD. One of the great yes. pickup basketball players in the history of Los Angeles. We call him Never Scored a TD over here. <laughs> Never Scored oh. a TD. <laughs> That's his nickname Ouch. here. Never Scored a TD. Never Scored a. Actually, I thought, I thought that was his name when I first met him. Everyone just called, called him Never Scored a. And I was like, how do you spell that? Never? Is it N-E-V-A or is it N-E-V-E-R? TD. Still catching it. Um, on Sunday, Greg Rosenthal and Mark Sessler will be guests on the Tomahawk show. So I don't know where that leaves Wes and I, but whatever, I'll, I'll bury that. And it will come out to <laughs> yeah. a, psychi- a psychiatrist at some point. I think you made the right one. We actually requested, 
We requested all four, and they were like, well, you don't need these two. They're not that important to the show. We were like, <laughs> okay, I guess. That's accurate. Damn. Damn. We'll let you run it. Erica, that ain't right. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but yes, uh, check out the Tom Hawk Show all the time, but especially if you if you want to try it for the first time, you're going to have two of the heroes uh, on their Week 8 recap program. And gentlemen, uh, yep. like we said, this, this does feel right because you guys talk football, you talk ball, you mix in some pop culture, and just a touch of the mirth. And, and and that's why we're all brothers and uh, and and we fly together. Yep. <laughs> fly there you go, together. man. We're doing a live yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Before we go, you guys just did a live show in London that was yes. an absolute smashing success. Oh yeah, yeah. We're doing a live show, Hall of uh, Hall of Fame weekend. It's not really Hall of Fame weekend, but it is at the <laughs> House of Blues in Cleveland. The the game is Thursday night football versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Wednesday night Tomahawk show. Mm. Can you give us any tips before our first live show? Mm. Wes? Drug, well, drugs help. Drugs help, <laughs> definitely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I always That's what House of Blues told right. us. I always just tell myself I'm walking into my favorite bar and everyone there loves me because the crowd is stacked in your favor. They're going to sure. love you. They're going to love all your jokes right away. It's a can't-fail yeah. situation. Yeah, it seems that like is... Joe Thomas, Andrew Hawkins are going to play well to a Cleveland-centric crowd. <laughs> You've got that right out of the gate. But yeah, that it was would, smart on our part. I would say, yeah, a shot of Toradol for each. Just a <laughs> shot of Toradol, just to, just to keep it old school. It's funny because this will be the first Cleveland crowd that we've done together that actually does love us because on Sundays, <laughs> that was not the case. Oh, so. man. Tough situation. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much for joining us. And again, check out the Tomahawk uh, show every week. It, it's a banger every time out. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. See you guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, that was great. Enjoyed it. Like those guys. I think we could be friends with them. I think we could have beers with them. I think oh, yeah. we should get a condo together maybe. Mm. And we don't all live in the condo at the same time, but we have like a set schedule where we always, um, you know, oh, this week it's Andrew and Wes. Next week uh, it's Joe and Mark. Oh, look, <laughs> it's it's a Dan and Joe week. Oh, Greg. Oh, Greg, Greg says he wants the condo to himself. No, okay. that's, that's, oh, that's fine. That's fine. fine. But then we'll have parties and we'll all be at the condo together. I don't who I, loses. I find myself Joe pays for it. I find myself in a little bit of a little Debbie scenario where the three of you I think are having a very productive conversation with Hawk and Joe Thomas and I'm still sitting there the Browns fan of me being like what am I doing talking <laughs> to Joe Thomas because he is mm. totally lovable affable professional and every time we met with him it's like this guy that's is how the I best, feel but, that's know. how I feel with Hawk I was such a big fan of the reality show fourth and long hosted by Michael <laughs> yeah, Irvin, you mentioned wow. it. where Hawk uh, made his name uh, I think that every time people should check out game debut by the way every Saturday on NFL Network me Hawk and Cynthia Freeland making picks good. twice twice on Saturday. That's a good plug. And that and the fourth and long show. No one has been a bigger fan of the fourth and long program. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, here's the it's, thing. You have the master tapes. Pretty no amazing. one remem- <laughs> No one remembers it. I know I've brought. No it up one remembers it except Greg. No, here's the thing. No one watched it at the time. No one else watched it except I've Greg. Tried. I'm not bragging. Was, I don't know. It sort of it sounds like, like on a, it was like on a terrible network. What it was on a network. That, that what network e- was it on? I think it was who on did like, you just call it? It was on one that like, doesn't exist. Spike or something. Yeah, it was Spike. guys first. It was Spike. The guys only. It was it was a delightful show. Can we start the, one of the best up for Hunter shows. Renfro every every episode now? Uh, yes. Renfro's fine. I've moved on. <laughs> I do like the small. You know, it's also nice to have an NFL player that we work with that's my size at least in terms mm, of that height. is delightful certainly not in terms of like you know fitness we've got breaking news only six times faster than you breaking <laughs> news Chris West I love when West delivers it you know it's going to be good 
Well, it's major injury news for the Detroit Lions. Bad, bad news. Carry uh, on Johnson had to go on an IR with a knee injury that he suffered in week seven. Oh, that's not good. He injured it. Yes, he injured it. Uh, this past Sunday, and you showed him on the sidelines with the pants up, with the brace on, trying to walk it off, had a heavy limp, and you had a bad feeling about it, but IR is a surprise. They've got fellow they've got rookie Ty Johnson, J.D. McKissick, who's more of a gadget player, and I believe they claimed Paul Perkins off waivers from the mm-hmm. Giants, but very suspect depth there at that They're position. Of C.J. Anderson uh, can't even get a sniff out. Hey, everyone says, you know, running backs are important until – you lose on Johnson, and now their running game is not going to be. Lions are in trouble. Same. You know, in the movie where like there's the midway point where it's like a cast of adventurers have to say say goodbye to someone that's sort of sacrificing themselves in a heated moment against some sort of mythical beast. I like we're we're quietly uh, moving away from the Detroit Lions, who've been left underneath the big boulder and are not no. going to be advancing I with mean, us we, onto the next stage. How about an easy NFL schedule season? the next couple of weeks? We tried to stay know. relevant. We tried. We'll always, you brought them along on the we, journey. You know what? The schedule softens up. Get a couple dubs in here. We're not out. We're just we're we're attuned to the reality situation. They, they've lost three in a row, and now one of their most important players on offense. Right. We're not. We're not. Um. You know, pointing fun at them or giggling at the whole situation. We don't. We don't approve of it. But it's no, the reality. I'll always look fondly on that late September, early oh. October time when the Lions were fun. Salad days. <laughs> All right. One year. Mark wrote a banger. one week. Absolute banger. I mean, I'll read the headline, and you tell me if you think it's a banger. Assistant coach of the year? Question mark. Robert Sala tops competitive field. Now, I got a little business-like in the back end of the headline. I'd like to keep it saucy all the way through. I would you go, didn't write how about da, How about Colin, you know, assistant coach of the year? Colin, Robert Sala. Why the question? I think the question that mark is, is asking, the- like, did someone actually – pen an article about assistant coach of the year. They're still processing that as content <laughs> providers, I think. So is this is this essentially in the slot reserved for what's grinding my gears with Mark Sessler? It is. And like this is something that That's, I do care about. I do care about this topic. What? That was not was his, it, his it was weekly tough? column is not what's grinding my gears. I mean you that have was, to That when, was the old uh, wesseling uh this no, that wasn't what it was called. Oh, grind my gear. On my radar. I, like, on I my mean, radar. When Dan is going to present anything that I do here, I just have to, you know, kind of <laughs> shoulder the concept that he's not read it, does not care about it, and only cares about anything with not, his own byline. I, well, that's true. I, I <laughs> am not reading anything about the NFL today, and I told you. It's a run out the Which is the situation. same thing that happened when I wrote my Browns long form. It happened after, it came out the day after a Jets loss, and you refused to read that and still have not. So I enjoyed that piece quite a you bit. You will at yes. some point run out of excuses. <laughs> I read that piece and enjoyed it. A lot of Jets quite losses. Long. All right, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Let's no soldier. Shit. All right, here we go. Let's get to it. Robert Sala. I don't want to. I want to save it because he's at the headline. You can figure it out. But let's start in the back end. Um, you got some honorable mentions. Eric Washington's getting votes. Yeah, I don't even know if we need to dig into that crew. But North Turner's getting some pop even. Uh, but you got. Uh, I, I got some questions. Okay, why don't I'm going to turn it over to Chris Wesley. Why don't you like offense? Mm. Um, Greg Roman has like turned the Ravens' offense into a thing true. for the first time in and franchise that was your boy. history. That's and Kellen Moore has the number one DVOA mm. in the NFL. I would this argue this. Wanted, Mark. Here's, here's what I would argue. Back this, it up. This is uh, – all these awards are optics and perception-based. And But you're the one writing the no, article. You're doing you it. You can make your own. No, no, no. I'm, I'm arguing who who is going to win it, I think. 
And is it a me, real? That, is it a real award? I'm not even. I'm not joking here. Yes, they yeah, actually give it we've out. been discussing it for half a decade. On I thought show. it was kind of like your award. No, they no, started it. Well, it's because 2014. Of Mark they, they started the award. It, oh. Yeah, five years ago. And there was the one. Dismissive. There was the one year where Skarnecchia got some serious votes, but he yeah. did not win it. It's, oh, sure. And, and it's four of the five. Four of the five winners have gone on to become head coaches. Like, I really Wade think Phillips that was all, the other who, right, and he he's the one that did not. Who is the reigning assistant coach of the year? It is Vic Fangio. Fangio. Mm. Okay, Wes, Wes says that because on Mark's list, the top four options right now, the, the leaders in the clubhouse um, and five of seven are all defensive-minded. I think for me, it's because of the – it's, it's a shorter sample size. The Niners' defense, the Bills' defense, the Saints' defense has been more consistent – I, I believe in the Cowboys offense. The Cowboys offense, 10 weeks from now, Kellen Moore is the perfect guy to win this award. And after three weeks, I mentioned, would have won it going away. Mm. I think that he's got competition. But I, I hear your point on Greg Roman. For me, with Greg Roman, I would want to just see where they are a but, couple months from now. But he's yeah. done it so far. I, I agree, and that's why he's on the list. Right, he's, he's on the list. He would be in my top two. Petten's been... Good, but he's you know their defense has been a little up and down. The fact that the Ravens have a top yeah, five three five offense running it in a different way than basically any offense, and and maybe Roman doesn't get credit for Lamar Jackson just scrambling because that's no, the gets, last couple of weeks it hasn't all been called runs. It's you just get been credit Lamar. for for doing something that no one else is doing and that really no one else has ever done. How about that fourth and two call that swung that, that whole game? That's true. A brilliant call. Leslie Frazier is an interesting one because I think he gets forgotten because his head coach feels like the defense. Yeah, well, I mentioned that, that, that. that's It's tough to win those awards when people are wondering whether it's McDermott or Frazier. Because it is McDermott, know? I think, ultimately, right? It's, it's his defense, and, and Frazier and him make a great pairing. You got Dennis Allen, who's done wonders with the Saints. Um, this would be a sweep, I think, for the Saints, because it feels to me, unless Frank Wright goes and gets it, the coach of the which is basic. If you're tracking coach of the year, screw you. It's about assistant coach. And you think that <laughs> Peyton's going to win coach of the year probably. Now is Dennis Allen. I mean, gonna, it's early. Is it's he going to swoop in? Where well, we are now. If Dennis Allen swoops in and grabs assistant coach of the year, that tells you a lot about why the Saints are so successful. Great staff. I'd be stunned if the academy went with coach and assistant coach of the year. Akoy, aka Akoy, assistant coach of the year. Akoy. Mm, if they like if they gave that to the same team, because I am cynical enough just to not to believe in how a lot of these awards work, that that's not what they do. They're going to find a way to give a little piece of the pie to some different storylines. Well, you got De- Allen at number two right now, and you do have Robert Salah would need to be kidnapped Salah. by you know a, an angry band of Taiwanese uh, you know terrorists to to not win this thing at this point. I mean, he could like, take them out. That sounds like John Wick. You know, sounds like an action movie. I Salah, Salah would be a good action movie. Well, hero. I mean, Is we, it Salah or Salah. I, I kind of the way I like the way you, the second way you Salah. say it. I don't think that's what how is it is. But. Salah done to the Taiwan. Well, here's the thing. That's a, that's a question to be Mark, answered. as you often say, and you said it earlier, this can be narrative-based. Although you would think assistant coach of the year is underground enough where it would be maybe more pure than the MVP, which is a bit of a soap opera. You always, you, you, you love getting to the narrative, but what are the terrible award picks that have been narrative-based over the last few years? Comeback player of the year, I am 100% agree okay, with you. It's all narrative. I think and, what and they do a lot of times that's is... That's part of it, though. MVP and offensive it. player of the year, to me, feels like best picture... 
best director, where they find a way to give a little bit of everyone. Offensive some love. player of the year is a joke. Why have that award? That's the that's to Mark's point. Everybody gets understand. a piece of the pie. Right. Right. I still don't understand what it means or how it's figured out. But we're talking about the because I'm a right man now, of guys. of um, Acoy. the Acoy. Acoy. <laughs> of character. I don't even vote for offensive player of the year when they do that little uh, NFL.com writer things. I refuse. You refuse. You sleep. Strong. Well, at night. Strong. I refuse. Strong I used to say that I used to make a little point about how the award's stupid, and they published that once, but then they just stopped they doing stopped. that. Yeah. So, Salah, um, to the point of the narrative base, that was when we were in London. Um, who were they facing that week? It was the Rams. That was, it was the that 4, was his breakout performance. Cutaways, yeah. And you kind of need that big national moment to get on everyone's radar. And I think that has helped him a lot. And the fact that the Niners are I, I think that's a lot of it because the voters are not watching every one of these games. And let's be honest, like coordinator level coaching, we hear from these guys for 15 minutes a week. Salah. And the idea that we know what a coordinator is doing from team A to team B to team C is, is ridiculous. It's well, an ultra good. mystery. So it's all... Uh, image-based. It's all ego. It's just like everything we do all the week long. Yes, you could extend that to every bit of NFL analysis. Right. Back-to-back primetime games for them in week 9 and 10. I can already see it. We're in uh, Fort Lauderdale in February. The 49ers are there, and everyone's crowding around Sala in the crowd at media day because he's already, everyone knows Salah. he's already accepted the, the Falcons job or some other job. Uh, you can't exactly talk about it yet because they can't announce it, but he's a big story. I mean, a year ago, his defense recorded an NFL low, historical low, seven takeaways. So, you know, hopefully we all can come it's back. Not that the way. X's and the Joe's. It's the, it's not the X's and the O's. It's the Jimmy's and the Joe's. <laughs> like that. And you want to talk about a clean sweep of the awards. I was going to say Salah, maybe best bod of assistant coaches. Uh-uh. You remember a guy named Dan Campbell, once upon a time, the interim head coach of the Dolphins? Well, he's now the tight ends coach of the New Orleans Saints. They can sweep the entire awards, including hottest body. I wouldn't say their tight ends are killing it. Mm. No, hottest body. Oh, okay. Well, what about um, – I didn't notice you didn't mention uh, – Steve Belichick or anyone from this, you know, historic uh, Patriots defense. Explain to me what Steve Belichick is doing. I don't know. Who says it has to be a coordinator? Is it Gerard Mayo calling the plays? They've got like three. They've only have three coaches. Two of them are named Belichick. One of them's in charge of the secondary. They're the ones with the 18 interceptions. Oh, do you know what was really funny? You go down memory lane this summer when Greg was trying to figure out things to be nervous about with the Patriots and he kept on going on to their homepage and be like, look, they don't have any assistant coaches under contract because there was only four or five headshots. They still only Remember have that like when a you were couple. worried about that? One of them is Brett Bielema. Remember whatever. when you thought that was something to be concerned about? Their yeah. coaching was, staff being rounded out? It was out? partly a bit. That was if real. If you went to Patriots.com, there was only like one picture. <laughs> that, that, felt that, real. that panned out to be a, an, an extreme crisis for the. For I, I now do support a future where it's just Steve and Bill Belichick, McDaniels, and Skarnecki. A four man coaching staff cut out the fat. Let's keep Mayo because he's a, he's a Patriot, you know, Hall of Famer. All right. One more <laughs> quick game of um, Win West's Toaster before we oh, get no. to Thursday Night Football. Chris. Dan. Willie Brown, rest in peace. His iconic pick six return. Mm-hmm. You're really putting a lot of stick stock in this. Fran Tarkenton. Slow motion shot. Yeah. Running toward the end zone for the clinching score. Uh-huh. Who was the NFL film cinematographer, cinematographer behind that shot? Oh, uh, you should know this, Wes. I would say Steve Sable. Uh, on a broader scale, yes. But no, the exact... 
I've mentioned his name twice in today's show. Oh, Ernie Ernst. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> Give him the toaster back. Hey. The big urn. <laughs> I can't believe you remember that. <laughs> All right. How many, how many guys are named Ernie Ernst? All right, let's get to it. The Washington Redskins at the Minnesota Vikings. Slaughter um, on Thursday night football. The Skins, uh, one of the only winless teams left in the league. In fact, no, did they win? It counts if you beat the they Dolphins. They lost. Oh, the they Niners. beat the Dolphins. It, they beat the Dolphins. It counts oh, in the Previously, standings. yeah. My Not in people's minds, really, but yeah. My mind, uh, apologies <laughs> to the Redskins. They do have one win, but they got shut out um, at home on Sunday. But, you know, they're playing a pig slop against the, the Niners, so we won't go too crazy about that. But they are a bad football team, and they head to Minnesota, a place where um, uh, U.S. Bank Stadium, where the Vikings aren't going to lose against a good, t- a good team, So against a bad team. So, Wes, when we check the boxes – when will Kirk Cousins struggles? Well, we almost hit it here because you got primetime game. Um, you got a lot of people watching. Uh, but what you don't have is an opponent that's going to give him trouble. He should keep rolling here, right? Uh, yeah, this checks all of the boxes. And I can't even envision a scenario where the Redskins win this game. I know that Greg likes to say that any team can beat any other team, but the Vikings are so Hawk much... said it earlier on the show, but The Vikings right. are so much better than the Redskins, and they are so much better at home than they are on the road. I, I love the way their defense is playing, Eric Kendricks in particular, but their offense, Dan, you said before the season, top five offense. They're top five in DVOA. Bang! Well, two things stand out to me in this game. Number one, everyone should listen to what Mark said. Uh, that game is a delight to watch on Game Pass. They they were loving it was wild. the slap. It's fun. You know, it's a little weird the Redskins didn't allow Case Keenum to throw until they were down nine nothing with them well, he, left. He but, couldn't. But I guess he couldn't. Uh but the the bigger story is Cousins throwing dimes. He's had some throws in the last couple weeks that were amazing. I mean, that first touchdown that got Thielen hurt was an amazing throw, uh, moving to his left, throwing to his right. The the throw that basically ended the game against the Eagles where he's getting pushed out of bounds was an incredible throw. Cousins is feeling it. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's Revenge they, game. They have a plan on offense now. I love that they were able to look at look in the mirror and change the way that they're attacking teams with their offense. And it's it's covered a lot of sins. There was a lot of grumbling in there. The Redskins, to me, like that Niners game or really any game on offense, they seem scared of their own personnel. They seem ultra conservative because they lack a plan. And there's no way that you can really imagine the Redskins attacking a team unless that other team is injury riddled to the core. And I, this, this, Dan, we have to cover this as a what will amount to a separate breakout pod on Thursday night. We are going to be digging deep. Ooh. Like, well, you got you Peterson know. in Minnesota, who's running pretty well. Wes's boy ultimately still running. That's a little he's juicy little. Yeah, right. He's got a high ankle. He, he sprain. says he's, he's now feeling that he can play. Well, he wants that. Cousins against the he Reds. Wants that. Walter Payton touchdown. I mean, this is a that's homecoming for him. Here. Yes, he want, that's a big homecoming What about game. Case Keenum against the Vikings? Oh, this game he, got subplots. That's fair. Floor. He swatted that down. He said he's played for so many teams at this point <laughs> that every week. No, last no way. year he brought the Vikings yes. or right. two years ago to. He could say that, but uh, yeah, I, that I agree, hurt him. but. That's that fine, but him. I don't. I mean, it's if that's As it should if have. That's the benchmark for revenge. Well, that was there, his, in week. It, yeah, eight, we're in so trouble. much for revenge, so. but that was. Hopefully, you know, he has other great moments. But him uh, getting to the NFC Championship, but that that was a pretty great case. And then they ship him off and they, they take the high, you know, the younger model. It's not so how you want to be it. treated. Yeah. I bet we'll, have I a bet better quarterback. We'll get two quarters of Dwayne Haskins in this game, I think. I, I don't, oh. This is an unpopular uh, hot take, but 
it does nobody wants to say it, but this is checking all the boxes that the Redskins already know they have a bust in Dwayne Haskins. The fact that he's not playing right now. This doesn't happen anymore. There's no such thing as putting your quarterback in mothballs when you pick him in the first round and there's no one else in front of him that's, that can play a damn. Uh, I, I mean, you could well, that's, look at... That's assuming that, they're, that your first year of your career is instructive for the rest, which I'm not I'm not saying all. he's... I'm, I'm, I know this that year that's is a bust for him, true. yes. I just think it's a very bad sign that they're not having him play and they're able... They could stand behind, well, we don't want to rush him. He's not ready. But the fact that that doesn't happen anymore makes me think that there are some real concerns behind this. Right now there are because every single broadcast crew that goes in there, including, I can't remember who announced the Redskins game last week, but including them, they all talk with information based on what Haskins isn't ready to do or basically that the coaching staff doesn't want to put him. The one thing is uh, you, they are zooming towards number one overall pick potential if the Dolphins ever won two games this season. So you can't be in the position to draft one of the big quarterbacks that everyone is organically tanking for Trade and have... The Dolphins. Well, I'm saying the Redskins. You, yeah. There may no, be Haskins a quarterback is their out guy. There. I mean, it's their is owner's he, is, guy. Yeah. I mean. All I'm saying is, if Haskins is not is is not ready to play, and he's there's issues with him, then why do you not move on after one year? Look what happened to the Cardinals. They they wound up doing it'd the right crazy. thing for themselves. I, I guess it'd be crazy to me without having him actually play. And the owners. that's what I'm saying. You have the to owners, see him. The owners. I know, but if the, if you know it's happen not with, the time with for Josh him. Rosen. It's not that crazy yeah. in 2019. It would have been crazy yeah. four years ago. I don't think it's that crazy if you're like millions and millions of dollars are riding on having the right quarterback. And I know he got he had a cup of coffee this season and then got sent back to the bench. But who is the last first round pick quarterback to stay on the bench? Mahomes uh, for a whole season essentially. Is it Mahomes? Well, he played the final week of the year. Of the, yeah, but, but that's that was... but Alex Smith was a Pro Bowl quarterback at that stage. Right. That year he was Without right, but a they, real they guy in front of him. All I'd say is if they knew, let's say if you if you were going to get Patrick Mahomes three weeks into that season, was out right. would Alex Smith have ever really kept him on the bench? They they just took a measured approach with with Patrick Mahomes. We talked about this after the Bears game when Khalil Mack killed that offensive line, but they were that offensive line was injured, and I understood why they weren't going to put him behind that line. But this line's played a little bit better lately. They're running out of excuses not to play him. All right, there you go. That is our Tuesday show. Thank you again to Joe Thomas and Andrew Hawkins for their um, contribution to the program. And, great guys. Yes, great guys. And Mark and uh, what? And Mark and Greg will be on the Tomahawk Show on Sunday, so check that out. We'll be back on Thursday with our Week 8 preview show. And, yes, Mark and I will also be on Thursday night with our recap of Thursday Night Football. So two shows coming up Thursday. Check them both out. That'll be a thick 25, 27 minutes, I'm hoping. It could enter that Eddie Spaghetti Burgo range where you just – you love ball so much you can't quit. Just got to talk. Case Keenum and Peterson go into Minnesota and make it a classic. They get within 35 points. All right. Stan Hans is signing off. Punching that clock. Going home. Uh, For the quiet storm, the mailman, the old boss, Ricky Hollywood behind the glass. Till Thursday.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.